The opinions expressed are those of the author and do not necessarily reflect the views of Charles River Associates, its clients, or any of its or their respective affiliates. This podcast is for general information purposes and is not intended to be and should not be taken as legal advice. Hello and welcome. This is the National Security and Technology Conversations podcast, part of the CRA podcast series. My name is Wakas Shahid, and I'll be your host for this series. In this podcast series, we will aim to discuss and inform about key developments at the intersection of national security, technology, and business, discussing new national security regulations and initiatives, technology breakthroughs and developments, and perhaps most importantly, how these two things come together to impact companies in diverse sectors in various ways. I'm currently a vice president at CRA's forensics practice, where my own practice focuses on helping clients deal with opportunities and operational challenges that result from the intersection of national security and tech innovation. I am pleased to have joining me for this inaugural podcast, my colleague, Jesse Suter, who is an associate principal in the forensics practice at CRA. Prior to joining CRA in 2023, Jesse served in senior positions in the U.S. Department of the Treasury, most recently as the deputy director at the Office of Investment Security. And Jesse is a founding member of the first ever enforcement arm of the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., CFIUS, where he played a key role in the modernization of CFIUS compliance and enforcement practices. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse. Thanks, Wakas. Excited to be here. Excellent. So before we dive in, let's start with some questions, background questions to warm us up. So where did you grow up, Jesse? I grew up in New York City and never knew that that was something that would take people by surprise until I left New York and ventured off into the real world. But I suppose, you know, growing up around the shadow of Wall Street kind of had its effect on me. And I found myself down in D.C. after college, but remain a New Yorker at heart. Excellent. And we seem to have swapped positions. I grew up around D.C. and now I'm in New York. So uh, we've got those two cities covered. So so tell me a quote or a saying that you found insightful or useful in your professional career and what that means to you. The quote goes something like, everything is complicated. And if that wasn't the case, then life and, and poetry and everything would just be boring. And that took a long time for me to appreciate because sometimes in analytical fields and certainly in business, you're often trying to boil things down to the simplest possible explanation. And while the most obvious explanations usually right, it's always complicated. And I think learning how to lean into the complexity is part of learning how to enjoy your work and cut to the core of things. All right. That's a great quote, Jesse. So let's talk a little bit about how did you get into the national security space? I'm curious to know what sparked that interest and what path you took through your career journey in the national security area. Yeah. So I, I got lucky early in my career when I moved down to D.C. after college and joined a consulting firm that had a lot of work in the broader national security space. I was initially on a contract at DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is the Pentagon's blue sky research arm. And although I only had a very cursory understanding of what my clients did from a technology perspective, I really enjoyed being around that kind of energy and that kind of exposure to how the government relies on both the academic community and, and the 
private research community to advance and push the envelope on all sorts of technologies that help both the warfighters, but also the technology floor in, in industry across a number of different areas. And through that same firm, I was able to get some more exposure to the intelligence community, as well as the specific work being done at the intersection of finance and national security, and started as an analyst working on counterterrorism and the financing of, of terrorism. And that's how I learned about sanctions. And working on sanctions led me to the Treasury Department, which, as many know, administers nearly all of the sanctions programs. And I truly enjoyed my, my time with OFAC and happened to be at Treasury at the time when CFIUS was undergoing its latest major legislative overhaul. And in 2018-2019, decided to hop over to the sister office at the Office of Investment Security and help be a part of the growth of CFIUS and everything that gets done within the Office of Investment Security. That, that's great. Thanks, Jesse. And, and it's funny that you mentioned DARPA. One of my sort of reasons for getting into technology and, and computers very early on in my uh, high school career, or perhaps it was late middle school, uh, we took a field trip to a company that had some DARPA-funded projects, and they were able to show us some, you know, obviously sanitized stuff that they were working on, including a simulator. And I just thought it was the niftiest thing I'd ever seen. And it really sparked an interest. So it's great to see how all those threads sort of come together for, for a lot of us in this space. All right. So now that we've warmed up adequately, I wanted to turn our attention to what I really want to focus on in this podcast episode, which is your work at CFIUS and what CFIUS has been up to and what its priorities are and what are the key things and issues and interesting things that you saw during your time uh, there. So before we dive into all that meaty stuff, I completely recognize that there may be some listening to this podcast who are not completely familiar with CFIUS. So can you give us a very quick uh, overview of what CFIUS is and what it does? Sure. So CFIUS is a maybe not unique, but certainly fascinating construction of the uh, U.S. government. It is an interagency body, meaning it is comprised of a number of different agencies rather than just being run by one. And it is mandated to protect national security, which is its sole mandate. It doesn't have a broader sort of national interest or broader balancing act. It's, it's a national security focused body designed to monitor and review and adjudicate the potential risks from foreign investment in the United States. And foreign investment can take many forms. It can take uh, the more traditional approach that you think of when you think of investments like mergers and acquisitions or private equity or venture capital. But over my time at CFIUS, there were um, so many different kinds and structures and transaction arrangements that it really does stretch the imagination to show all the different ways that foreign investment in the United States can can fall under CFIUS jurisdiction. Great. And, and what were some of the more pressing issues that you or, or CFIUS writ large were dealing with in, in the recent past. CFIUS is by and large a voluntary process. Companies are incentivized to disclose deals involving foreign investors to the U.S. government for many reasons. It's another example of how you know, the government is sort of relying on the private sector to understand the incentives of coming to the government and sharing the nature of their deal so that the government could take a look while I was there, we covered transactions involving the full scope of the economy, almost every in industry that you can think of, from you know pharmaceuticals to heavy industry to telecommunications to some of the more conventional and traditional areas of the economy that you'd think of when it comes to national security, like aerospace and defense. Great. And, and one of the things that 
has happened over the past year is the emergence of generative AI. And, and while AI has been around for a long time and big data that, that backs up AI training has been around for even longer, there has really been a focus, I feel, in the economy on generative AI. Can you talk a little bit about how Cepheus was dealing with data issues, how it thought about protection of data, what measures it took to ensure national security was factored into how companies create, store, protect data, et cetera? Sure, yeah. I guess there's probably two ways to start answering that question. On the one hand, Cepheus has jurisdiction over any transaction involving foreign control of a U.S. business, which is to say, if the government decides that a transaction is going to lead to a foreign person, as that's defined, gaining outright control through a variety of different potential avenues over a U.S. business, then it doesn't matter what the U.S. business does. The government can look at the effects of the transaction on national security and consider any element of the business to potentially be a vector for risk. And the government takes um, a measured and sort of formulaic approach to that and conducts a risk-based analysis to ensure that its findings are, are grounded in, in reality. But the data comes in in almost every deal because almost every business these days collects or comes into contact through the normal course of business with a substantial amount of data. And in all foreign control transactions, the effects of the transaction on the underlying company's data and what that might mean for cross-border data flows is going to be something that the committee will consider. A second way that data comes into CFIUS transactions is when a transaction does not necessarily involve foreign control of a U.S. business, but still implicates a foreign investor gaining certain key rights into a U.S. business. CFIUS may have jurisdiction, uh, particularly if the U.S. business has what's called sensitive personal data, which is a defined regulatory term that covers a category of certain kinds of personal information and biometric information and a variety of different data fields that the government has decided is sensitive enough to merit review. So seen against that backdrop, you know, data will almost always be present. And I think just because your company has data, since most companies do, does not mean that you're transaction necessarily presents a national security risk. CFIUS looks at all sides of the transaction, including the threat posed by the foreign acquirer when thinking about what might happen to the data, as well as how the companies are planning to address data in connection with the transaction, even without CFIUS requiring anything uh, along those lines. So just because your transaction involves data does not mean you're doomed, far from it. Some simple standard and predictable business practices can help reduce the uncertainty of how CFIUS may wish data to be safeguarded in connection with a foreign investment. Sure, and, and we'll talk about that in depth a little bit later, but just as a preview, what are those sort of steps that companies can think about when either going in front of CFIUS or thinking about a transaction that may end up in front of CFIUS? What are some of those business practices that ought to be part of the conversation? Sure, well, I think simply preparing and understanding that it's a area of diligence that is going to be necessary is probably the first big step. And if you're doing something along those lines, you're, you're moving in the right direction. And increasingly with the uh, growing patchwork of data privacy regulations across various jurisdictions and states and countries, that's already gonna be happening. I think one of the key issues is that in the United States, there are no blanket federal data privacy regulations, only ones that cover certain pieces of different industries, at least as of now. In a deal the, that involves sensitive personal data, the CFIUS regulations outline some more detailed subcategories. So even if your deal doesn't necessarily check all of those boxes, 
it's a good way to preview the kinds of things that you should start thinking about if you're considering a foreign investment of any kind, because those are going to be the areas that the committee will want to focus on. So I think what you may be referring to is, is you know, when, when the committee does uh, perhaps allow a transaction to move forward, it may impose some mitigation requirements on the companies involved. And, and some of those obviously will have to do with data if the transaction or the company involves data. Can you talk a little bit about what sort of mitigations you typically saw at your time with respect to data and what CFIUS and, and the US government at large was sort of expecting stewards of this data to, to do with respect to that data and how to safeguard it? To start, I think it's important to remember that every CFIUS transaction is looked at sort of within the four corners of that transaction, which is to say every case is unique and different. Knowing that data can be uh, an area of risk is, is a key factor going into your diligence process. But when it comes to how that will look on the other end of a deal, many of the ways that the committee will seek to mitigate risks to data-related national security issues are through industry standard protections and policies and procedures that companies may already be thinking about or compliant with for, for other reasons. That can include some standard cybersecurity protections that are promulgated by other standard-setting bodies like NIST beyond those more routine elements of raising the floor of a company's cybersecurity, the additional kinds of protections generally relate to prohibitions on access by specified parties. So this would entail walling off a U.S. business's data in a variety of different secure means from access by the investors in that transaction or entities associated with those investors, or sometimes even broadly from foreign persons in any country or in specified countries. But the point here is that those measures that CFIUS may impose on a given deal involving data are always going to come down to the actual risks that the committee sees through that transaction. Makes sense. Makes sense. So in the news lately, I've seen a lot of you know, discussion about uh, different national security priority issues. I've also seen, uh, you know, renewed focus on land, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about where you see CFIUS focusing in the near future and what those risks are? I know you're no longer at the committee, but certainly would welcome your insights as to where you think the committee may be focused on in the coming years. Yeah, well, just to tie the on on data, you know, so long as there are no really broad reaching federal data privacy regulations, I think you'll continue to see CFIUS as a backstop for certain data privacy issues. Because CFIUS is essentially by law a tool of last resort, it ends up being a bit of a catch-all for deals where risks can't be handled by existing authorities. Some other areas where I can see the committee um, looking at more closely are particularly in, in biotech. There have been a number of initiatives put forward recently by the executive branch to increase awareness and understanding of the potential security risks associated with biotech and the bioeconomy. You know, some might think that that bio is the new cyber in the way that that is getting attached to so many terms these days. Congress recently released a report by a commission that was set up to discuss and to think about the security issues related to biotech. It employed the term bioliteracy, which um, is certainly something that the executive branch writ large is going to be trying to improve its bioliteracy and understanding of all of the technical aspects of how advances in the, the life sciences and, and other forms of, of, of hard sciences are potentially going to create 
uh, surface area for risk. And, you know, so long as there is advancing um, science and research going on in this country, whether that's in the space of, of semiconductors or other kinds of computing algorithms and computing power, and so long as there are foreign investors taking parts in those deals, you know, the committee will will truly look at anything. Fascinating. Um, and it certainly is, has been our experience that those technology areas that you just mentioned are really where a lot of risks perhaps lie in. And so it's no wonder that CFIUS is uh, focusing on those areas. I wanted to shift gears a little bit and um, talk about the process itself. Uh, so, you know, the last annual report that CFIUS submitted to Congress, um, you know, indicated perhaps a record number of reviews conducted and uh, a lot of activity in general um, with respect to the review process. Can you talk a little bit about your insights into that process and how companies and council can better navigate that process and, and just uh, dealing with Cynthia's at large? Sure. Well, uh, as you intimated, there's a whole industry here in DC of lawyers that work with parties on a day-to-day -day basis and, and supervise them through the process of dealing with the committee. I think as a reflection both of the increased awareness of how taking CFIUS into consideration is a important step of getting a deal done, as well as the broadening remit of all things that, that seem to potentially involve national security issues. So when it comes to setting yourself up for success, whether you're at a company or in a law firm, I think there's there's almost no limit to the amount of preparation that you can do to make sure that you can be as efficient as possible with the committee. One of the things we haven't covered, but I think is important to emphasize is that there are several incentives that the government offers through CFIUS to try to ensure that there's a healthy relationship between deal parties and the government. CFIUS is there to ensure that we can maintain an open investment policy. And although it's required to protect national security, the goal is always to, to find a way to get the deal done. And uh, the amount of work and effort that goes into trying to find and negotiate a solution is, is, is truly something to marvel at. And that's part of what the basis for wanting to prepare and, and be able to engage in a negotiation that, you know, where you you have thought about all the considerations and you have looked deeply into the nature of the deal and of your own business to understand all the different things that the government may ask about and be able to answer how a deal might affect various parts of your business. So preparation is really key and I think the marker of of success when it comes to when it comes to CFIUS. And and those incentives, just to be clear, are are a few different things, right? They are uh, number one, they're confidentiality. So CFIUS often gets accused of of being a black box and and that's for a good reason. I mean if the government didn't uh ensure confidentiality to material files with CFIUS, then deal parties would not feel comfortable disclosing their 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 blueprints and, and secret sauce to the government ahead of time. So confidentiality is key to ensuring that the process remains one that is trustworthy and has integrity and can proceed with, with trust on all sides. And another one is, is timeline. So the government guarantees that it will review a transaction within a specific uh, number of days. And that's um, something that not all regulators can, can offer and something that certainly doesn't happen in the course of other kinds of enforcement. And so when the government is going to ensure that it gives you a confidential answer within a certain number of days, it expects parties to show up prepared. All right, Jesse. Well, thank you for a great conversation. I look forward to, to speaking with you in the future on many of these topics and exploring additional areas at the intersection of national security and technology. Thanks for joining me for this first broadcast. Thanks.